Good morning, church. Oh, man. I want to echo Leah's thankfulness for the fall weather. Some of us are uh, adversely affected by hot weather. Sweaters, they call us. I'm one of those. And so I don't miss it at all. When it's 18 below zero, I'll complain about that, but not generally as much as when it's 99 uh, with 108 degree heat index. I always say you can add clothes, but you can only take so many off in mixed company before people get upset. Not that I know from experience or anything. It's awfully good to be here. It's nice to have a little bit of, a little bit of sunshine outside. Great to see everybody. For those of you online, welcome. Uh, it felt like maybe we were in Romans, maybe a little too long. I disagree. I think it was just the right amount. And when we talked about our sermon series, uh, where we would go from here, Mike and I get together and we pray about it and think about it, and then we pray and think some more, and we finally make a decision. And uh, this one seems somewhat logical in that it was, you know, quite literally the next book in the Bible, but it follows on very nicely. Uh, two different letters, two different areas, but they tie together so, so well with what we had just talked about, so maybe some more practical church applications beyond just what he's talking to Romans about. So as excited as I was about Romans, I'm equally excited to be able to, to bring the good word that comes out of 1 Corinthians. Um, we... We get, a, we get an opportunity, I plug it a lot, I'm going to plug it multiple times today, but we have a small group that meets just before this, and we started, gosh, it's probably been three years ago now, maybe, a kind of the follow the sermon approach, just trying to find some curriculum that worked, um, and it has been, at least for me, a fantastic time. We get together, and we basically talk about last week's sermon with more depth around some of those parts that are difficult to get sanded down nice and smooth in just, you know, 30 or 40 minutes or two hours or however long I rattle on up here. But sometimes it's hard to get to the bottom of that. Things are left confusing. We try to touch on that, and it's an opportunity to have some dialogue. It is so great. Today's going to be one of those. There's some areas of this that are maybe a little bit tricky or, or hard for me to just say exactly what it means, and it needs a little bit more explanation. I won't have time to get to it. So I encourage you, if you've not come, please do. It's available online. It's going to be a great time. Let's go ahead and read. We're going to do uh, the rest of Corinthians 1 and all the way through 2 uh, for today. Title the sermon, Wisdom from the Spirit. We sang a lot about that. And uh, what we see here is Paul trying to, to really r- drive home the fact that if we're going to be good at anything, it needs to be of God. With that, let's jump into the Word. If you've got your Bibles, it's 1 Corinthians 18 and onward. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, I'm sorry, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human 
no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you with the testimony of God, pro- proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to get together, to study, to dive into your word, Lord. I am so thankful for a word that is preeminent, all-powerful, and has everything that needs to be said about you and who you are, Lord. I pray that uh, I, I, I bring a humble offering of, of what I can to, to divide rightly this word, Lord, but I pray that your word speaks far louder than any of mine and that people that are within earshot of this, Lord, are drawn closer to you and deeper into your word where all the truth that we need lies. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in your sons that I pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> let's jump in. Paul is not in charge. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I like Paul. I think he's got his act together. Very uh, wise individual. Holy Spirit did a lot of good work through Paul. But he's not in charge. And I know this because he's saying it himself. He touched on this last week uh, a little bit where, where Paul's saying, listen, you know, some of you are saying you're following me. We're not doing that, right? We follow Christ alone. And w- whatever that entails, that's what we're going to be about. We fellow pastors are not worthy of worship at all. I can't I say we fellow pastors, and I know some might disagree. Well, I know a good pastor, this and that and the other. As Mike said, we are and should be uncool. There's not a thing about us that's worth worship. We're barely worth knowing. Compared to Christ, we aren't worth knowing at all. But certainly not worthy of worship. We don't desire a following. You don't want a following. I do not want a following. If there's any, if this church were filled to the brim, I want it to be with people that are here to seek Christ. They want to hear his word. So that's what we'll do. We'll just keep speaking and teaching the word of Christ, and that's it. Paul is trying to drive this home. In the first half of this chapter, he talked a lot about, man, there's some divisions happening. He's going to go on to this for a couple more weeks, right? 
But Paul's so wise, right? So, so clearly, Paul has dealt with this before. He knows what tends to happen. Here's somebody that knows the word. They know what's going on. They have answers to all my questions. They're well-spoken. They're together. It's tempting to hear several bits of truth and then accept everything as truth. But I'm telling you, Paul be the first one to say the letters that aren't in the Bible, the things that he said are not gospel. He probably said some things that were wrong. It's never going to get that hot on a Wednesday. And it does. Oh my gosh, Paul's not God. No, he's not God. He never claimed to be God. And he's, he's certainly not worthy of worship. When we hear people preach and teach and they say a bunch of good things and then all of a sudden it turns at the end or, well, I don't know about that, but since the first four things are true, the fifth one must be true, that's a bad way to approach things. It's an easy way to approach things. He's a great teacher. That's wonderful. I love everything. That last one was a little dicey, but all the other stuff ahead of that was great, right? Paul's imploring us to do our homework here. Know why you're coming to church. Know who you're worshiping. And if you've got questions, you can work on that. But to just sit back and let it all go over and say, well, I follow, let me talk about this, I follow what Paul says. If Paul says do it, I'm going to do it. Paul's saying, don't take my word for it. If you remember that old, it was a reading rainbow, right? Don't take our word for it, read it. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Don't follow me, follow Christ. Well, I don't know how to follow Christ. Read Christ's word. Well, I don't understand Christ's word. Let's talk about that. Let's help understand it better. But don't just take my word for it. Yes, hear and believe, but then study. Now, if it sounds like a broken record, another sermon about studying, <laughs> if there's anything that is ever going to preach for me, it's study. That's all I can do. Pray, study, seek Christ. I implore you to do that. If my words are getting you by, okay, but God's words are way better. Way better. Get back into the Word. The beauty of a church is we have an opportunity to do this stuff together. Scripture alone. As Paul dives into this, he starts talking using some terms that might seem maybe a little issue, a little, little iffy or kind of wishy-washy. The word is folly to those who perish, right? Uh, anybody that's ever tried to talk to an unbeliever might be able to relate to this, right? And you talk about salvation and that, uh, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ and I'm trying to live for Him and understand His Word. They're like, what's that done for you, right? The rest of us are here trying to make a living. Or I'm just trying to be a good person. What you're talking about seems like something I can't even achieve. I don't even know how to do that. That sounds like folly to me. But the word is the power of God to those, quote, being saved. I put a smiley there because uh, I was going to plug the small group again here. Being saved. Those are Paul's words, not mine, if you, if you think I'm just saying that. It's, a, it's, it's not true. It's, it's exactly what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those, but to us... Who are being saved, it is the power of God. Being saved is interesting, right? Makes it sound like there's a process here, that this is a, it's not just a single moment in time. We don't hear the word and experience the power of God and then are just saved and it's over and we just go about our merry way, do whatever we want, but it's okay. We already got our card punched, we're going. There's something about being saved. More about that in small group next week, I'll assume. But just know that this is, uh, what, what Paul's getting at here is this is not a, it's not a one-time event. We're not trying to grab them, dunk them, and send them away. We want to build a church. We want to work together. Our wisdom will not stand only God's. We preach folly, and I put that in quotes because what Paul's kind of tongue-in-cheeking here is we're preaching what the world sees as folly. But somehow, God saves because God's wisdom is God's wisdom. We're going to say something to somebody that seems irrational to them. 
Oh, that's foolishness. But somehow they hear that word, the Spirit moves, and their life is changed. That's what Paul's saying. It's just that simple. There's no secret sauce. There's no protocol. There's no handshake. We preach folly, and God saves. And then we get a little bit here into Jews and Greeks. Again, I know it seems like we talk about this a lot. Paul knows who his audience is. He knows what he's tackling at this time, right? The church is still pretty new. You had Jews, former, long-time followers of God. They had the law, so on and so forth. And he's referencing Greeks, which are sort of Gentiles. That word's kind of interchangeable from time to time. But in this case, he's talking to the Corinthians, and the Greeks would have been the Gentiles they had more of. So we got Jews and we got Greeks. But if we think about this broken down, what he's saying here is Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Jews in this are unbelievers that want miracles. I want to see God do something. That's how I'll believe. We want healings. We want riches. We want smoke and fire and pillars and things and shakedowns and rise-ups and trees being smitten or whatever. I want to see God doing some stuff around here. The Greeks are unbelievers that want proof. Prove to me. Walk me through this word. Prove to me that God exists. Prove to me that Jesus was his son. Prove to me that his death on the cross saves me. Paul's saying we don't offer any of that. We're not showing up to do miracles on God's behalf, nor are we going to show up and try to prove with a series of you know, you know, charts and graphs that the faith is accurate. Only Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and follies to the Gentiles. The Jews don't want to hear about it because it's not miraculous enough. We want something bigger than that. He's just a guy on a cross that died. Where's the miracle? Why am I still sick? Why are we still poor? Why are we still suffering? Where's the the hero? Where's the warrior? Where's the guy that's going to put us back on top and free God's people? And the Greeks say, oh, this again? Let me guess. He died, whatever, forgiven sins. I don't see the proof. Why do you just expect me to believe that? Paul's saying, yeah, that's right. I don't expect you to believe it. I'm doing what I'm called to do, and that is to tell you the truth about it. That's what I'm called to do. If the Holy Spirit wills it, you'll be believing it soon enough. So stumbling block alert. I love this. What we preach on its face isn't a miracle and isn't a proof. Be weary of those who say it is. I'm going to prove to you today beyond the shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that God's real. Good, good luck, right? If God's chosen not to reveal himself in a way that some pastor or teacher or phenomenon says they can do it, be very, very cautious. A lot of times what you're going to see in this is worldly things, stretching of legs, standing up of people in wheelchairs, super common. Oh, that's a miracle and a proof. Why, it's both. Take my money. Nonsense. We do not require that. The Jews wanted this. The Greeks or Gentiles wanted that. What Paul's saying is we're not doing that. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he goes on to say, the foolishness of God is far better than the wisdom of man and the weakness of God is far better than man's strength. Now, is God foolish or weak? No, of course not. This is all perceived foolishness. Oh, God and his crazy ideas again. But somehow or another, they're getting saved. I speak folly to people, they come to Christ. I preach in weakness. I preach in a lack of understanding. I can't prove this. I can't point to that. I can't definitively say yay or nay. And somehow, God's, my, my weakness and God moving through that, what, what they see is a lack of knowledge. People are suddenly 
overcome by that. They're moved through that. And then we see Paul calling out the <laughs> brothers. Interesting, though. Who are we, oh man? A little bit of a throwback there. Ignorant, weak, and ignoble men. God chose what is low and despised. He chose what is foolish. He chose what is weak. I mean, no offense to the <laughs> ministers he's talking to here, but he's calling them out, right? For consider your calling, brothers. This is uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. Not many of you were wise or powerful or of noble birth. Those are facts. Now, we don't talk about that today. I mean, we might talk about wise, perhaps. We definitely want people that are capable of speaking. I mean, that's, let, let the record show that folks that get degrees and go to seminary tend to get into pastorate positions. We want people to know how to communicate adequately, but it's not a requirement. God does not need that. God does not need somebody to have a specific degree in order to communicate the Word clearly. The Word alone can do that. And what Paul's talking about is we have ignorant, weak, ignoble men, guys that don't know, guys that aren't really big and strong and powerful and commanding presence, guys that aren't of noble birth, that have a long lineage of of learned individuals, but God. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. but God chose what is foolish to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong, and what is low and despised to bring nothing to things that are. What Paul's talking about is if you are really smart and you're a king and you're immensely strong, people are most likely going to listen to what you say because you can have them executed or beat them in a fist fight or win any argument. That's how the world works. It's how it worked then and it's how it works now. What Paul's talking about here is something different. Paul's talking about the wisdom of God. And the things, the, the, the manner in which God chooses to communicate that is to take things that are intentionally not wise. They're not learned individuals. They're not super strong. They're not, they don't have a commanding presence. They're weak. They're ignoble. They have no nobility. They're not traced to anybody of importance. No respect given to them because of who they are as people. Then God takes them and uses this fool, this this weakling and this pauper and people are, people's lives are changed as God moves through them. I say a great musician doesn't require a fine instrument. Now many great musicians play fine instruments. They spend a lot of money to get nice quality so that it sounds good every time and it's always in tune and all these sorts of things. But if you've ever been to, a, or you ever watched maybe some old footage some of the best musicians of our time were playing on equipment that by today's standards would be seen as absurd. Like, get a real guitar. What kind of violin is that? Well, that's all they had. But their, their ability to take a piece of garbage, effectively, that has t- tons of issues, and overcome that and make beautiful music out of it is a miracle to me. This is exactly what God's doing. A great God doesn't require a fine human being. God can pick up a beat-up, old, weak, ignorant idiot and play him, and out comes beautiful music, and people are moved to tears. That's what Paul's talking about. We're not worried about that. We don't need to have the most handsome pastor. Lucky for you, church, you do not have the most handsome pastor. I don't care who's up here. Neither one of us are easy on the eyes. I'm not worried about that, right? I'm not worried about, oh, you're going to argue with me? No, he's not going to argue with me. His wife's laughing, so is mine. Everybody knows it's true. We're not lookers. We don't have great, well, who's this guy? Unmute this. I want to hear his voice. That's not going to happen. But I hope they unmute it and hear it because all we want to talk about is what God's doing, what God's saying. 
God is going to play me like a fiddle and make something beautiful happen. Not because of me, but because of God. This is good news. And for us, there's no boasting to be done, only in God. Oh, I love what you said. That was God's word. You should check the Bible. <laughs> well, that story was funny. Okay, that one was mine. And maybe I need to lay off on that because if what you took from the sermon was a funny anecdote, then I blew it. I blew it. Oh, that story you told, dang it. That's not what I want you to think about. What I want you to think about is Paul talking about God taking weak fools and doing something amazing with them. Me getting better does not make God better. Now, do I want to be a better person? Yes. Do I spend time learning? Yes. Going to the gym, I used to do a little bit more than I do now, but there are things I do to take care of myself, but it's not so that God finally can break through. He doesn't need any of that. It's not required of him. This is good news. Paul talks about, he talked about it last week, he's talking about it this week, he's going to talk about it some more. Lofty speech or wisdom. This one resonates with me. I love to argue. I love to debate. I like to win arguments. Um, if I could go back and, and, and pick a different career that I think I'd really enjoy in, in a worldly way, it'd probably be being a lawyer. I love to win arguments. I'm not saying that would have been good for me, and I'm, I, I, I don't have any regrets in that space, but I want to argue for God just like the world does. I want to make a case. I want to have other people present their case, and then I'm going to tear them apart. You're wrong, and here's why. And you're a fool, and here's why. I'm going, to, I'm going to take everything you make and spin it around. But Paul makes it clear that logic and reason don't save. He's not using lofty speech or the wisdom of man because that doesn't save anybody. You might inadvertently drive a wedge between them where they're not even going to hear the truth because they're so angry at your approach. I know this about myself. I want to win arguments. I hear somebody disparaging the name of Christ or saying that there is no God or why would a, God, a good God let this, 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 that, and the other, and I want to get in. Oh, let me, let me tell you why. Because A, B, C, and D, and this, that, and the other. Well, okay. And they walk away thinking, if that's, if that's what God is, I don't want any part of that. Hateful rhetoric. I mean, clearly I'm in pain, right? We often joke about when the good things happen, we say, hey, God is good all the time. You never, ever hear that calling at a funeral. Why? Is God not good because somebody passed away? Well, God's still good. We don't want to bring it up because it seems insensitive. It seems difficult. I don't want to talk about how good God is when things are so bad right now. That would be a terrible time to get in a theological debate about the inherent goodness and sovereignty of God standing above a casket. It's not a great time for that. Your ability to try to argue the sovereignty and goodness of God right there is going to be lost in a feeling of, I can't even register this right now. I am in such grief. Why don't you just weep with me? That's in the Bible too. I know, but I really want to drive home sovereignty right now because I think you doubt that. I can tell by your grief you don't believe that. What a fool I would be to do that. Relying on my wisdom and lofty speech and this, that, and the other. Paul's saying, knock that off. He's saying that to me. Logic and reason don't save anybody. Christ and his crucifixion do. If you want to preach something that's going to preach no matter what the situation is, you can go up to anybody in any situation and say, as a believer, I am thankful that we'll get to see them again. I am thankful that Christ took care of everything that needs to be taken care of. That's going to preach no matter what. Now, if they're not saved at a funeral, that's tough. There's just really no good news there. I understand that. But generally speaking, that sort of idea, it's Jesus and it's his death that saves us. It's no argumentation. It's no clever uh, you know, connecting of dots theologically, none of that's going to work. 
Paul's not relying on himself. I often pray, you'll hear Mike, many preachers do, that we're hidden behind the cross, that our words aren't heard, but God's are. That, this is why. What I have to say that is not the word of God is stupid, useless garbage. It might be funny. It might be interesting. But no one, I'll tell you right now, I'd be surprised at least. I can't imagine anybody sitting on their deathbed saying, I just wish I could hear one more dad joke from the pastor. <laughs> it's like one more day at work. No, it doesn't come up. What people are talking about when the chips are down or what Christ did, why I know there's a tomorrow, why I'm going to live eternally, that matters. I don't care about anything else that's ever said from this pulpit other than the Word of God. Now, we use a lot of other words besides the Word of God. I'm saying plenty of them right now. But I'm hoping all of this is a funnel. All my words are a funnel to take the Word of God and make sure that all of it lands and makes it right into you, right into you, where the Holy Spirit's going to do something with it. No desire to stand above the church. The, what Paul's getting at here is you don't take your smartest and best speaking people and make them pastors automatically. Well, I know all the big words. Great. Teach us. Nope. Not necessarily the best idea. There may be somebody that says, I am willing to teach, and I'm just going to kind of read the Bible for now. That's what I'm going to do. Great. Do that. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. Now, do I believe that God is sovereign and brought me here and brought Mike here and might bring other people in the future to teach? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally. God will do what God wants to do. But He does not require me nor Mike to teach you specifically the Word of God. Our knowledge and our wisdom, if it isn't of God, is of no, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. We seek Christ with weakness and fear and trembling. It's exactly what Paul's talking about, just like them. This isn't, well, you know, as as your teacher, I no longer fear the Lord. Nope. I fear him more than ever. Mike talked today in a small group about millstones hung on teachers' necks for false teaching. You got to be worried about that kind of stuff. Right? Now, you don't have to worry about it, but you need to be mindful of it. Now, if you let it get worried too much, you might not ever teach at all. I'm just so scared. No? No, I'm going to trust. I'm going to teach the Word of God. I'm going to teach it completely. I'm going to know that if I don't let myself get in the way, I have nothing to be concerned about. Where we always run afoul is we start telling a little bit more. God said, don't do this. But what He really means is don't do this and this, and then you don't have to worry about those two. Now, all of a sudden, I've added a little something. And i got people that say, well, that's what the pastor said. The pastor said, we don't do this, but also we don't do that. He seems right on a lot of other things, so I'm going to take that as gospel truth. And now I'm going to start holding others accountable to this thing that I just heard for the first time today. This is exactly how churches over the last 150 years have many times gone completely astray. We seek Christ with weakness and fear and trembling. Our speech should demonstrate only the power of God, not the power of us, not the power of hope or the power of uh, good behavior or the power of not sinning. There is no power in that. Only God. Now we get to wisdom from the Spirit. Now Paul says here, we do impart wisdom to the mature. Now this is in 1 Corinthians 2.6. I, I, what Paul's getting at here is, yeah, I, there's some wisdom that comes. We know this. We teach one another. I'm doing this now. I'm hopefully imparting wisdom to you, right? And this mature, though, is not about age. It's not about, well, once you get to a certain age, now you're privy to this this knowledge. This is spiritually mature or those that believe the gospel. So those that are in Christ, those that have accepted it, yes, we're imparting wisdom. But the wisdom we're imparting is not how to change oil. It's shall not perish. Wisdom from God that lasts forever. 
We get into the Word. We divide the Word. We study the Word. We take notes on the Word. We, we, we think out loud about the Word. We discuss it in small groups. We look at other studies, and, and we, we compare this passage to this chapter, to this book, to the whole book of the Bible. And we try to understand more about the context of the time and, and what did he, you know, when he says that term, what did that mean, and so on and so forth. That's the wisdom we're talking about, is understanding with more depth what God's Word is talking about. Paul uses the term here, which I love, a secret and hidden wisdom. And uh, anybody that's ever been involved with like fraternities or uh, anything like that, there's part of this that's like, ooh, we Christians, we have a, a secret and a hidden wisdom. There's a handshake. Are you secret wisdom unlocked? You can come back into the secret room and we'll, we'll show you all of our, our wisdom that we can't share with non-Christians. The terms that he's using here and the way that he follows it up is, it was secret and hidden. Christ coming living perfect life, dying on the cross, was wisdom that God knew forever. It wasn't a second plan. It was the plan from the get-go. Paul's talking about this was secret and hidden, but it is no more. We know as Christians what it was. The world doesn't get it. It's secret and hidden from them because the Spirit hasn't unlocked it yet, but it's not secret knowledge. Beware of any religion that takes this seriously and says, you can't read that chapter. You are not, the, the second half of our church constitution is available only to members. Run far away. The Bible is wide open. The knowledge of God is complete. It is no longer secret hidden. Paul's writing here opens the book, unlocks the secret, and unhides it. It's now available and it's known. We're called to share it. But it was secret hidden. What he's talking about, is, and the folks he's talking to is, we have been entrusted with something that God kept for millennia prior to us. That's a big deal. We should be excited and humbled by that. We get to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Secret and hidden wisdom for ages, now unlocked. And we get to tell the whole world about this good news. Paul's stoked about that. He wants them to be excited about it. It's serious business. This isn't just another thing. Paul's connecting the work of the Spirit directly to our calling. The wisdom of God to those that believe must come from the Spirit. When we share this secret and hidden knowledge and, and people's hearts start to change and their minds start to change, it's got to be from the Spirit. It can't be from men. Can men say things, or women, say things that change hearts and minds? In our world, sure. I mean, you see it all the time, right? Nazis rise to power. Hearts and minds change. I believe in the fatherland. All these bad choices, but none of it lasts. None of it is good. None of it glorifies God. If it's coming from men, not going to glorify God. What Paul's driving at here is if you really want to change hearts and minds for God, it has to be spiritual wisdom no more. No trickery. No, hey, we're going to do this, but I'm going to also sprinkle in. We're also going to drink a protein shake every day. Hey, right? Well, we're going to do this, plus wear skinny jeans. Boom! No. Double no to that. I rebuke skinny jeans. I'm doing that from the pulpit. I'm kidding. But the point is, there's, it's not about God's wisdom plus a couple other things from, from mankind, and that's going to shore it all up. No. Paul's saying, knock that off. You know why? We're going to get into it more next week, too. But he's already touched on this. I follow Cephas. I follow Paul. I follow... I just follow Jesus Christ. Like, here we go! You all start looking at the stuff that men do. You start listening to the things that the men talk about, that the teachers talk about, women, other people talk about, and you're starting to build yourself in little camps. 
well, we only drink tea out of this kind of a cup because that's what Paul did. Who cares? That's not going to change lives. I never sit in that kind of a seat. I only sit over here. I'm always on the right side, right? Paul's saying, we got to get out of that. We got to get out of this habit. Teachers, stop teaching stuff that isn't in the Bible. Stop it. Knock it off. People, don't listen to teachers that teach stuff that's not in the Bible. Now, I hope, like me, y'all raise your hand and say, well, how in the world are we supposed to know if it's not in the Bible? Read the Bible. Right? That's what I'm talking about here. If what I'm teaching is not in the Bible, I want somebody to get up, raise your hand and say, could you point me to this, pastor, and I'll do it? Or I'll say, well, I'm kind of making that up. You, you got me. You got me. I just kind of wanted to lead you all along. I think we could do a little bit better job if we all stood the whole service because I think it's important. Nonsense. We're sitting down. All right, fine. Fine, do it. But this sort of stuff happens. And it becomes, it becomes canon because we inadvertently like the idea. Oh, yeah, I like that idea. That's what I think we ought to do. We ought to do it that way because the, that sounds like a good idea to me. Oh, I can't find the word, but I like the idea, so that's the guy I'm going to follow. Paul's saying we've got to get out of that. If it's not coming from the Spirit, it's a forgery, and it will not stand up to eternity. Will there be a lot of people that go along with ideologues and megalomaniacs, people that, I mean, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the, the cult leaders that take people down and they all drink Kool-Aid and they die? Do people follow along with that? Yeah. Will it stand up to eternity? No. That's the key. If it's not from the Spirit, it's a fake understanding about something that's being attributed to God that's not there. 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit, not through Paul or Chris or Mike. What we are trying to do is drive you into the Word. I want you to read the Word of God. I want you to hear the Word of God. The Word of God comes into our eyes and our ears. And then the Holy Spirit does something miraculous in us. That's it. If it's my words, the Spirit's like, well, I'm not, that's not my gig. I guess you'll have to do something miraculous in yourself with that. And we try. People read self-help books and they try real hard. I'm going to make another resolution. I'm going to eat less of this and more of that and work out this way and do that. And I'm going to stop saying, uh, I'm going to do only say 15 positive things for every single negative thing that I say. These aren't bad things in and of themselves. But they're not going to stand up to eternity. They're not going to save you or save someone else. Hearing 15 nice things, that's great. But if I need, I need the truth of the gospel, and you're telling me I like your hair and your glasses and your beard and your... Well, thank you. Anyway, I'm going to feel real good as I burn. Knock that stuff off, especially here. Now, let me, let me reiterate. We talked about this in a small group. This, Paul's talking to people that are in a church, Right? There are things that we as a church talk about one another and the way we, we extol and rebuke one another that wouldn't apply outside of these walls. They don't know who Jesus is. He's talking about that. It's folly to the world. We're going to preach folly to them. That's okay. That's okay. He leaves it alone at that. But y'all got to know that's not folly. The Word of God's supposed to be changing us. The Spirit's supposed to be working in our hearts. What are y'all doing? You're separating into little camps and you're infighting and bickering about all kinds of silly, stupid stuff. Knock all that off. Knock all that off. The, the things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, those are the things that count. They don't come from Paul. They don't come from me. They don't come from Mike. They don't come from anybody except the Holy Spirit. We'll know what God wants us to know. It's so tempting, and I mean, this preaches so well then and now, to try to extrapolate knowledge of God. Well, if one plus one is two and then two plus two is four... Uh, well, you know, let me draw a graph and I can tell you what God is, right? God said he's good and he's just, so he must also hate this person because I'm good and just and I hate them, right? 
There's so many aspects of God I see in myself that God must clearly desire other things that I desire. No, we should not be doing this. This is exactly how all these laws of men, doctrines of men that divide, we sing about this. We love doing this crap. We think of something that we think is pretty clever, going to make things better for people. We attribute it to God and preach it. And then we wonder why churches fall apart, why people walk away from the faith. Well, it wasn't anything that had faith in nothing. They had faith in a bunch of nonsense that I made up. Bunk, don't do it. God has revealed exactly what he wants us to know. And we are called to communicate that wisdom. If you wonder, if you're sitting in a church, you're thinking, like, I don't feel like the Spirit moving in me at all. Are you hearing the Word of God? Are you getting together and study it? Are you, is there any, or is it a bunch of self-help stuff? Well, I believe I feel better about myself. Do you? I mean, it's easy to walk around and say, 15 nice saints, church, you're doing great. Everyone looks so healthy. Right? It's a beautiful day outside. Yeah, I love all that stuff too, but it's not going to save anybody. It's not going to draw us closer to God because it's sunny outside. Not in the long term. That's not spiritual wisdom. We're called to communicate spiritual wisdom. That comes from the Word of God alone. That comes in, Spirit does its thing. The Spirit will reveal to us through God's Word all that we need to know. And I'm not using all just like as hyperbole. It's the truth. If you need to know it, it comes from the Spirit. Right? Now we talk about a lot. Oh, you're going to... Teachers can relate to this. You're going to need to know math your whole life. Sure. But maybe not in death. Is algebra eternal knowledge? No. It's not in the Word. If there was a chapter on, on calculus, we'd be up here teaching calculus from the pulpit. We'd have to. It's in the Word. It's not. We figured this out as mankind. That's great. But is it eternal? No. We're not going to be walking the streets of heaven with angels saying, golly, I mean, if I fire this thing off a cliff, how far do you think it's going to go in the water? <laughs> Apparently, we're not going to be required to know that because it's not in the Word. Now, I'm not saying knowledge is bad, but what we're talking about here today is what we're preaching. Calculus doesn't save people eternally. Algebra doesn't. Social studies doesn't. The Word of God does. And I like the way that Paul, <laughs> I'm a big metaphor guy, but in 1 Corinthians, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And then the Hecox Standard Version, HSV, that's me. Well, same thing for God, right? If you want to know more about God, who knows God better than the spirit of God? Answer, nobody. Nothing knows God better than the Spirit of God. We get that presence inside of us as followers of Christ. Like, it floors me if I think about that too much. A, a part of the Trinity is indwelling, discerning things for us, changing my mind and my heart, taking the Word of God, turning it into something that it wasn't before. We cover the Spirit's presence and that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God's laid it all out, but we don't know what to do with it. Infinitely complex puzzle. Here's all the pieces. I can't work it. Holy Spirit shows up, starts working it. Am I working this? That's a temptation. Hey, I'm figuring it out. No, the Spirit's working it through me. The Spirit's taking these free gifts, and it's doing something with them that I'm not capable of doing myself. That's why I stand here. And finally, Paul touches on natural versus spiritual. The natural, worldly person doesn't accept this spiritual stuff. They're going to say it's nonsense. Paul, here's the key, goes so far as to say they cannot. We might get frustrated. 
The natural, this is 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Thus Paul's heartbreak. When we talk about a heart for the lost, this is the crux of that. We're going to go tell somebody the good news of the gospel. And they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They haven't been illumined. If you say this to them, they're going to say, it's bunk. It's folly to me. They may not say that. That's kind of a weird term to use maybe in our world. Ah, that's whatever. That's an opiate for the masses. You know, that gives you comfort because you're too weak. And our answer should be, oh, absolutely it does. <laughs> 100%. I'm so, I'm so glad that I have something to comfort me in my weakness, in my lack of understanding. Now, Christians often don't do that. I know I wouldn't. For ages, I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, I'm not weak. I can lift this whole podium over my head. How's that for weak? That's not the point. The answer is, yes, I am weak, and I need the comfort. Yeah, absolutely I do. And then they're going to say, well, I have my moments of weakness too. Paul's heartbreak is they can't get it yet. I can tell them the good news, but if the Spirit hasn't done something with the good news in them, it's never going to click. So we're going to say it again. We're going to pray for them again. We're going to say it again. We're going to pray for them again. And when God chooses to flip that switch in their life, we're going to give thanks to heaven. And if he doesn't, we're going to say it again and pray it again and say it again and pray it again. And we're never going to give up. We're not going to say, well, I guess it didn't work and I guess they're doomed to hell. That's not our call. We're just going to keep on keeping on. But our heart should be rent a little bit that they can't get it yet. God changed their heart. God, turn it on. It breaks my heart to see somebody I care about so much in active rebellion. The spiritual person, on the other hand, is privy to the wisdom of the Spirit. There's no excuse. We talked about this in our small group today. If you're saved, Holy Spirit's working in you. There certainly ought to be. Things ought to be changing. Things should be coming in and, and uh, bearing some fruit here and there. Not perfect, mind you, but some convictions begin to change. And things we used to do, we don't do so much. Or things we used to do and think highly of, we don't think as highly of now. And these sorts of things may be judged by the world as wrong or foolish. If there's any believer here that's ever had a lifestyle, and you had friends in that lifestyle, and then God got a hold of you and convicted you that that lifestyle was causing you or your family great harm, and you opted out of that lifestyle, the people in that lifestyle will judge you as wrong or foolish. I guarantee it. It will happen. What are you talking about? I know plenty of guys that went to church and got just completely blasted out of their mind drunk every weekend. What's the problem with that? And you're saying it's a problem for me. I know better. I've been called to something different. I understand you don't get it, but just trust me. It's the truth. Oh, there's plenty of us that ride and abandon our families and, and uh, you know, take hiking trips for multiple days at a time and, and do whatever we want. You know, you used to do that with us. I know, but I'm, it's different now. I see my family's in distress. I need to be around more. Oh, that's wrong or foolish. Like I said, they probably won't say those exact words, but, but that's, that's what they're saying. Paul's telling us it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So how do we live this? The good news is, let's break it down to three things. We will follow Christ, preach Christ and his crucifixion, and then depend on the wisdom of the Spirit. Follow Christ. Go all the way back to the beginning. Don't follow a teacher blindly. People can say 150 great things and one that is absolutely incorrect. Take it all back to the Word. Instruction is awesome, but you've got to compare it to the Word. You, I, we all have to. I hear plenty of things that I really like. There's, 
Uh, the longer I live on this earth and I find teachers that I really like, there's always something that I don't. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that because it reminds me that, no, this is exactly right. You know, these, th- this is what it's supposed to be. These folks are adequately cu- communicating the truth of the gospel in most regards. But every now and again, there's something that I don't think is, is gospel centric I think it's incorrect. That's okay. It doesn't integrate the 150 true things. It just reminds us that we should not follow people. Compare it to the word. Seek wise counsel when you're troubled by teaching. If you heard something today and you don't dig it, you don't agree with it, let me know. I'd love to talk about it. If you've got a pastor that disagrees with me vehemently, have them reach out to me. It's okay, right? Seek wise counsel. The wise, that's a pretty wide swath. I get it, but that's part of us. We want to be part of something that's bigger than us so that we can say, man, I don't get it yet. Can somebody else help me understand? Is this true? Is this true what he said? Because if it is, that changes everything for me. But if it's not, then I don't want to waste my time worrying about that. And then be ready to rebuke those that are false teachers. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If what I said is false teaching, I expect y'all to rebuke me. I desire it. My goal is not to, to lead people astray. It really isn't. Some people, that may be their goal, not mine. I'm still learning too. But we have to be equipped enough to be able to do that. Second part, preach Christ and his crucifixion. Winning arguments about theological issues does not save. Oh, man, do I wish it did. (sighs) But it doesn't. It doesn't. Fun to have. Great discussion topics. But beware. You get into some of these discussions with people that don't even believe anything, and they're ready to make arguments because they read something on the Internet that makes the Bible seem false. Well, careful. Maybe pop the brakes before you eviscerate that argument and say, listen, let me tell you a little bit about, (laughs) do you even believe? Well, no. Well, then I'm not going to argue with you about this because it doesn't make any sense to do that. What? No, no, everybody always wants to get, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it. The message of Christ and what he did will say. Rather than debating this, let me just tell you about what I believe about Christ and what he did. We have an essentials pantry. We haven't had it for a while due to all this COVID nonsense and supplies getting difficult to get. But one of the things we try to do is if you sit down and you say to somebody, I, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. I believe exactly what the Bible says about him. Now, you could say, well, what is it? And they'll say, well, I don't have time to get into it right now, but I do. Suffice to say, I believe. That's what everybody's going to say because they don't want to get into it. But if you say, can I tell you about what we believe as a church? And they say, sure, go ahead. And then you preach what Christ did, his crucifixion, his resurrection, salvation for all mankind, the payment for all sins of those who were elect, foreknown by the Father since the beginning of everything. They might be like, whoa, I just thought... I thought he like died for everybody and we have to live a good life. No, I had no idea. Well, what do I need to do? Well, first, you've got to give your life to Christ. You've got to believe with faith. And then what? That's it. Wait, what? Don't I have to do something? You will do something. The Spirit will start to do something. That leads to repentance. And that leads to, quote, as Paul said, being saved. Now, that's, for a lot of people, might be completely new. I've never heard anybody preach Christ and his crucifixion like that. They always talk about doing good things and knocking off sin. and well, That's all good stuff, but not in and of your own accord. If I stop drinking of my own accord, that doesn't matter in a hill of beans in the, in the ground. If I stop drinking because the Spirit's begun to convict me and prune that from my life, replace it with something better, that's something to talk about. Why? Because I can boast in God. Not me. Not my ability to teetotal, not my ability to cold turkey. I'm so strong. I have such control over all the things in my life. No, I was out of control. I was lost. 
I was at sea flailing about, and God started to change me. Yes, I, I am repenting actively, but I'm only able to do it because of what God's... Now you're having a conversation where the Spirit's going to get in there and start doing things in their heart because they're hearing the truth. Maybe they've never heard it before in their whole life. That's what preaching is. And the last thing we're going to do is depend on the wisdom of the Spirit. We're not going to trust our own understanding or someone else's. Don't trust it. Now, you can hear it. We should come to understanding of what the faith is because of the Spirit working in us. I'm hopefully, hopefully, I'm adequately communicating the, the spiritual truth of the Word of God because of the Spirit working in me. But it's not my, it's not Chris's understanding. It's the Spirit's understanding in Chris. The Spirit will give knowledge, wisdom, discernment. All the things we want come from the Spirit. The things we really want come from the Spirit. And just like following Christ, seek wise counsel when clarity is needed. There's no shame in saying, I don't get it. I don't understand that. It seems wrong to me. We should talk about that. I grew up in a church life that that was just not, the preacher said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's kind of the way it was. Well, I'm over all that. You got a problem with what I'm saying? Come talk to me about it. I don't mean that negatively. I'm not trying to fight. But I want to know. I want to know what the issue is. I want to get to the bottom of it. It could be a misunderstanding on my part or yours or the words I said weren't communicated clearly enough because I'm just a, a, a weak, ignoble, ignorant man trying to put words together to adequately convey the importance of God's Word in your life. We, the church, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, need to help each other in that. It's not about showing up and getting, getting dumped on or getting elevated arbitrarily and then everyone walks out and goes through another week of, of living hell out there to come back and try to figure out what we're going to do this week. I failed it all again. Sorry. Nah, it's not me you got to impress. It's not God you got to impress. He already knows everything that has happened is happening now and is going to happen. It's not about that. It's not about doing things right. It's about growing in Christ together. So the call to action. Give your life to Christ and start following Him today. If you haven't done that step, we'd love to talk to you ASAP. Second step, join our church and we'll grow in our, in, in our faith through prayer and study. <clears throat> Maybe you think you don't want to join a church. Or I'm not sure about this church. I'm telling you, if you've given your life to Christ and you're not in a church, join our church. We'll grow together. Plenty of room for you in here. We'd love to have you. And finally, let's work together to preach Christ and his crucifixion to a world in desperate need. Desperate need. If I've seen anything in the last few weeks or maybe month of what's going on in the world, my gosh, my heart is busted up thinking of the number of people that are perishing depending on governments and good deeds and, and other men. It's not going to happen. Christ and his crucifixion. That's the difference maker in our world. That's what we need to be talking about. We'll do our part. We want to comfort, console those. Yes. But when the chips are down and people come to that place where they say, I just don't even know which way is up anymore. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm tired of all the death and destruction and hatred. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of being lonely. It's not about, well, let's do what we can do to make you feel better about yourself. Do you know who Jesus is and what he did? Do you not ever want to be alone again? Yes. How about, no, how about less fear for today because of an eternity of peace? Oh, that sounds pretty good. I have a hard time believing that. Well, that's why we need the Spirit to get to work. I'm not going to convince anybody of that. I'm not going to convince anybody of that today. But the Spirit can start doing that right this second. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you immensely for this time together. Thank you for the encouraging words that are in this book, Lord, the Holy Bible. It's set apart all these words. Set apart, made special by you for us so that we can know who you are. Lord, I thank you for what you did on the cross. I thank you, Jesus, for your time on this earth, the perfect life you lived, the wisdom you imparted, the church you began building while you were still here, Lord. And I thank you for going to the cross and paying for everything that required payment. Lord, I stand here today humbly as a man that doesn't deserve the grace that you showed. I don't deserve the salvation. I don't deserve the sanctification. I don't deserve the peace. But you saw fit to bestow that. And Lord, I thank you for it. And I pray for those that are, that are listening here today, Lord, if there's somebody here today that wants peace that they can't understand, that's just there, and they, wanna, they want an eternal perspective on how things might really be frustrating now or maybe in, incomprehensibly bad now, but someday there's going to be no more sin and no more death. Perfect existence. Lord, if, if somebody's hearing this today and that's something that they've desired but thought impossible, Lord, I, I pray right now you're just surging over them right now at the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lead them to us. We want to work with them. We want to be a family with them. We want to be a, have them be part of our church family. Study together. Grow together. Answer those tough questions. Square up some of those difficult to understand things, Lord. That's the whole reason you wrote the Bible, so that we can we can understand you better and understand all the aspects of you. And at the end of the day, Lord, that's all that matters. Thank you for this time together. Thank you.